So this is one of those magical moments where I realized that a podcast I already wanted to make is going to allow me to explain two concepts at the same time. Kill two birds with the same stone. So that is what got me over the hump to being excited about making this episode. So one of the most important principles in mold avoidance is the idea that a mentor taught me, which is, quote unquote, you can't avoid all toxins. You have to pick and choose. I'll repeat, you can't avoid all toxins. You have to pick and choose. And this applies to you pretty much whether you like it or not. Even if you are at the top echelon of society and you have unlimited money, um, at the end of the day, you're still picking and choosing which toxins you're going to be exposed to unless you literally, quite literally, can move to Mars or the moon or something. Um, The reason this is so important is because people often use the wrong criteria when deciding which toxins to avoid. And I'll give some examples. Uh, Often people use whatever the loudest gong is or the loudest noise. And this means that people often end up avoiding secondary reactivities pretty much forever and really never recover or never make significant progress toward recovery. And that's because the secondary toxins are quite problematic. They they really are messing you up. I'm you're not you're not imagining that. Things like multiple chemical sensitivity, uh gluten, um VOCs off-gassing from plastics and furniture. That's that's bad. And and it really is giving you real reactions. No one's gaslighting you and telling you that those are are fake things or that you shouldn't avoid them to the best of your ability. But what we are saying is that problematic mold supertoxins are the root cause of those reactivities. And it's it's actually quite a chore to avoid problematic mold supertoxins. Like, like this isn't a walk in the park. It's already hard enough. And it's much harder if you try the impossible task of avoiding all toxins. And there's a lot of ways this can play out. But <clears throat> one of the most common is and I'm just using picking cherry picking this as an example. Okay, there's there's other ways that this avoid all toxins ideology can play out, but I'm going to cherry pick this example because it works and you can extrapolate it to other decisions. Um the t- the idea of a tiny home. The idea of building your own custom tiny home to be VOC free and chemical free and paint free and latex free and all this other stuff. It's very appealing. It's very appealing because we picture ourselves, you know, living inside of a traditional house or traditional RV and just breathing in that plastic and, you know, breathing in those fumes and just, oh, it's just so horrible. Um, I did build a $57,000 custom tiny home, which was a total disaster. Uh, not, it wasn't a disaster because of the design. It was a disaster because it's just really hard to execute. It's hard to sell. It's hard to move. It's hard to be street legal. It's hard for, you know, people not to complain about it, all those other things. But here's the thing. Um, you know, if I was a lot richer and had unlimited money, I might've been able to pull it off. But for 99 percent of the population, it's just not not going to help. And it's not so much fundamentally because there's anything wrong with it. Like, could you actually build a perfect custom tiny home that that checked all the boxes? 
I mean, yeah, you theoretically could, but it's kind of also a waste of time because this idea of avoiding all toxins is going to pop up all over the place in not just your custom tiny home, but in your clothing and your blankets and your food and your outdoor air. You know, so it's it's kind of a false comfort, if you will, to go down that road. You get a false sense of security. And uh, I think I'm going to do this podcast in reverse order. Um, I'm going to end, I'm going to start now with what I was going to end with, because I think I could save a lot of breaths if I just tell you the ending instead of make you sit through all this introductory stuff. What it feels like. So I have a friend who used to say a, a funny saying, he would say, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And it's kind of a funny, quirky way to say that if you don't have the right tools um, and you only have a hammer, then you're just going to be banging on everything. And that might not really be the, the right way to do things. In this case, it's the opposite of that. You want to do that. That's the ideal thing. If all You have one hammer and you use it the same way everywhere you go. <clears throat> what do I mean by that? You learn how to sense problematic mold supertoxins, outdoor supertoxins, the ones that we talk about that are in San Diego and Tucson and Seattle and Portland and Atlanta, and also the outdoor one known as frat that's in areas where there's been uh, fire retardant dropped on the forest. I have a whole podcast episode d dedicated to frat, and you learn how to avoid problematic indoor mold supertoxins. Um, these, these are being building mold and you don't do this with testing and with, you know, laboratory and Petri dishes. You do this by doing a mold sabbatical. I have, if you scroll all the way down to the beginning of my podcast, I have a free episode on a mold sabbatical and how it differs from testing. So please go listen to that so that you, so that you understand. That's all you do. You just avoid problematic mold supertoxins. And I know it's going to be so hard in the beginning. You're going to think that all these VOCs are going to kill you and this MCS and gluten and all that. And, and by the way, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to avoid those. It's fine, right? It's very uncomfortable. You know, here's a little, so I'm going to do two stories at the same time. The one that I was going to end with. And then this one, when I first started mold avoidance, I bought a brand new truck. I didn't really know much about mold avoidance. I hadn't really read the books. I was desperate. I just bought this truck because I didn't know what else to do. And that truck off-gassed so bad that I thought I was going to die. It gave me symptoms that felt horrendous. I even wore like a full-on gas mask respirator thing when I was driving around that truck. But it didn't do any long-term damage as long as I was also doing mold avoidance. And, you know, we bought a new RV. And again, I'm not saying to go buy the stinkiest, worst, most horrible VOC RV that you can find. Obviously, look for one that's better. Or if you're doing hotels or tents or Airbnbs or whatever, of course, look for one that, that has the lowest amount of chemicals as you can. But you have to prioritize the mold supertoxins. But I wanted to tell you that story because I went through that whole thing. In fact, intensification, which is... One of the steps of mold avoidance healing that everybody should know about because it's very well written about. It's not a mystery. This isn't something you, you need to make up and reinvent the wheel. Intensification is the first phase of mold avoidance where everything feels more intense and, you know, you know, you react more to mold, all this, all this stuff. You also, most people don't know this, but intensification also involves 
reacting more to secondary toxins like chemicals, like fragrance. So when you first start doing mold avoidance, you're like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. I'm reacting more to secondary toxins. No, you're not doing something wrong. That's, um, that's, that's part of the process. So that was normal for me to go through that with my truck. Okay. Now, this is the most important part of the podcast, okay? I want to fast forward to the end. I am about six and a half years into mold avoidance, and I would say that I'm 90% recovered, something like that. My family went to uh, a state in the Midwest um, a a few weeks ago to, to do some family business stuff. We went to a state in the Midwest, and we stayed at an Airbnb where when I got there, I know that they were cleaning this Airbnb with all of the horrible chemicals, right? You know, spraying this and this and shower spray and tile spray and Tylex and all this stuff. Now, I am telling you the truth when I tell you that it did not bother me one bit. I felt totally fine. And I know that stuff can still give you cancer and I'm not saying you should do it on purpose, but we're focusing on mold illness here, right? On getting your health back, your, your vitality back, feeling good. And then once you do that, sure, you know, do the organic thing, have your own pasture, whatever you want to do, avoid it. But I'm talking about mold illness, guys. I know I'm just trying to address these concerns because everybody's going to say, oh, that's, that's so bad. It gives you cancer. I know. I know. Okay. I know. I'm just talking about reactivity, getting that out of the way, getting out of Lyme disease, chronic fatigue syndrome. That's kind of like the urgent thing. So, I did not notice that stuff at the Airbnb. Um, I sat on the couches. I took showers. I mean, I was aware of it, but it, it didn't bother me at all. That's why I say if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Because if all you do is bang, bang, bang on avoiding mold super toxins, bang, 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 do it for a month, for a year, for five years, bang, 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 learn how to sense mold super toxins, bang, bang, bang. Avoid them for as long as it takes, which is often a really long time, bang, 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 then all the other BS goes away, right? I I went to a coffee shop in in the Midwest and I got a gluten scone, just some random, probably non-organic blueberry scone, just ate it up. And my wife said, oh, really? You felt good after that? I was like, yeah, it's totally fine, right? Gluten, fragrances, all this stuff, bang, bang, bang. If all you have is hammer, everything looks like a nail, bang, 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 super toxins, mold super toxins, just avoid those. Again, You still have to avoid the gluten and the VOCs if they make you feel like crap. I'm just saying don't spend $200 million building a custom tiny home to do that because it's just better to put yourself through a few of those VOCs. Um, And again, consult a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Some of you guys might be getting anaphylactic reactions from fragrances. I'm not saying to do that, right? Like talk to a doctor, whatever. I'm just giving you a bird's eye view here, okay? So I'm not a doctor, disclaimer, blah, blah, blah. Bang, 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 mold super toxins, bang, 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 don't worry about anything else. And you will get to the most crazy place where you're literally walking around an Airbnb that has fresh paint and fragrances and smells. And, and you, you know what you're acutely aware of when you're in there? You're like, oh, I think someone sat on this couch that had a mold super toxin on it. That's what you notice. You don't even notice the fragrances. They go away. They fade into the background. And I'm not saying that I had to jump up and run away. I'm just saying that my body is still aware of those mold super toxins because guess what? Announcement. Wow. Epiphany. That's the underlying cause 
of our problem. It's not a zillion little things and glutinous and that and little tidbits of fragrance that are 17.4 miles away blowing in the wind. And, you know, a lady sprayed her perfume on uh, at 17 degrees longitude and 44 degrees latitude and it blew over into your nose and you had an anaphylactic shock. That's a secondary problem. But most people never discover that and they never get far enough down the rabbit hole to heal because there's too many toxins to chase. They never really give themselves a chance to avoid the mold supertoxins in an effective way. Do you see how important this is? I mean, my inbox, my messages, my posts are just inundated with people who have no clue about this still, right? They, they literally are, are going to go spend their last dime on building a custom tiny home to avoid all of this secondary BS, um, and again, if you're, if you're Will Smith and you have a hundred million dollars and you're like, yeah, I can hire 17 architects and 42 designers, then yes, of course you could do it. Great. That's fun. Wonderful. Do it. But I'm just saying, don't ruin yourself, your finances, everything else. These are secondary toxins. Avoid mold super toxins as described in the free literature that you can read about this particular approach to mold illness. And that then it, you, all you do is bang, 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 bang on that one thing and all the other reactivities go away. Yeah, there's some other disclaimers in here like some people benefit from some treatments during mold avoidance like parasite treatment. But this is another area where we are all more the same than we are different, right? It's been discovered by experienced mold avoiders that there's a lot of benefit with parasite treatment specifically. That is not some random verbal vomit, diarrhea idea, random, I'm so smart idea that I just pulled out of my head. There's empirical data that says parasite treatment later on in mold avoidance, not too early, is empirically beneficial to mold avoiders, specifically parasite treatment, not Joe naturopath down the street, random supplement that he pulls out of his shelf and feels so smart and hands over to you. There's some specifics to this. There's a specific roadmap. And that's what gets so frustrating trying to help people with this illness or make content is that you get lines of people all lined up at different ideologies. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with those ideologies. They just don't lead to healing for this particular problem. Okay? So the second concept, remember when I said this podcast is going to allow me to explain two concepts. The second one is sensitivity versus reactivity. Sensitivity versus reactivity, hugely important topic. It's probably the only topic in mold avoidance that I feel like I'm not over the hump in learning and understanding yet. Um, that's an important statement. That means that if you think you fully grasp sensitivity versus reactivity, you probably don't or you're a lot smarter than me because I face this on a daily basis and I am still learning and climbing up the learning curve. And I have a lot of other podcasts about this. I'm not going to go into depth about what it is, but just a quick 30-second definition is that sensitivity is the degree to which you are aware you are being exposed to something 
It may it may be hurting you. It may not be, but you are aware of it. You know there's mold in the building. You know there's fragrance in the air. Reactivity is the degree to which you are being harmed or actually hurt at a core level. At a core level, not just irritated, not an irritant, actually harmed at a core level. This is so important and and the practical application of sensitivity versus reactivity changes, I would say, during many of the phases of healing. So it's something you constantly are wrestling with, right? There will be many times when I will go into a building and I will say, oh, there's definitely mold here. This is a moldy building. But I have developed the mold avoidance skills and you can too to notice, oh, this is not problematic mold. I can stay in here for as long as I want. I'll be totally fine. I'll even leave and I'll smell my clothes and they'll be full of mold, smell like mold. But I, I won't get any core health problems from this. And I personally actually happen to, in real life, live in one of these buildings right now as we speak, right? I can take a shower. I can go get clear. I can go on a hike. I can come back. That's like a little mini sabbatical. I can smell my clothes from the building. Oh my gosh, these are moldy. But it doesn't harm my core health because not all mold is bad. And wake up call, the mold tests that you do in a house do not tell you which molds are the problematic ones that make you sick? Or I should correct myself. They don't always tell you. You know, if there's a super high level of a really dangerous mold, sure, that may be accurate. But it's the process of getting your own body trained up and unmasked for this job. Um, and I, I could go on and on about why mold testing is so un, unhelpful in many cases because everybody has a different sensitivity level. Sensitivity level to uh, certain problematic molds varies during recovery, right? Um, it, it all is just so variable. It's fluid. It's in motion. You cannot test for it. It's literally a minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, week to week, month to month changing target. But this is so key to recognize what a person's core health alarm bells are. What are your core health alarm bells? What are the alarm bells that are telling you that your core health is being disrupted? Not a molecule of fragrance in the wind that gives you a headache. Yes, it's a very legitimate headache. I feel bad for you. Yes, you might, it might be a migraine. Yes, you might have to lie down. Yes, you might even have to take medication. But I would argue that that experience is not a challenge to your core health. Rather, there's already something wrong with your core health that is leading to that experience. Do you see the difference? I'll repeat that. If you have convulsions from perfume in the wind, I'm not gaslighting you and saying that those aren't real convulsions. They for sure are real, but that is not harming your core health. There's already something wrong with your core health that is causing the secondary reactivities to gluten, to fragrances, to whatever. And that thing is if you're a moldy, if you're a mold avoider, if you go down the rabbit hole, if you're one of us, that thing is mold supertoxins, right? And this is why sensitivity versus reactivity is so important because as you, a lot of us spend our early mold avoidance days 
first few years being really, really clear, right? It's beneficial to be really clear. We go to these clear locations and we camp in tents and we hike and we, uh, and that's great. That's all fine. That's, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. That's what you should do. That's what I did. But later on, we are going to want to re-enter civilization and go to buildings and movies and all kinds of stuff, right? And this is when you become, you come face to face with mold reactivity versus mold sensitivity. You go into a movie theater, you sit down, and maybe you never even smell any mold. Maybe there's not even any residue on your clothing, but you sense that there is a problematic mold there that you know from past experience, past mold avoidance skills is going to harm your core health, right? It's going, you are going to react to it. Remember, reactivity is the degree to which it will damage your core health. So you get out of the movie theater, you know, okay, this is a problematic mold. It might not show up on a mold test, might not even have a name. Modern science might not even recognize it. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Then there will be another time where you go on a family vacation and you walk into a hotel and you're like, oh my gosh, my whole family vacation is ruined. It's so moldy. I've got mold all over my clothes. There's a ton of mold here. But if you know sensitivity versus reactivity, if you know your core health symptoms, you would be able to experiment with that and see if you are indeed sensitive or reacting to the building. Maybe you're just sensitive, but you're not reacting, meaning that you are aware you are being exposed to something, perfume, mold, bird poop, whatever. But the question of whether it's harming your core health is a separate question. That's why I say, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, because I have learned what it feels like to be exposed to something that is harming my core health. And it turns out, just like my mentors told me, it's really a singular thing. Problematic mold supertoxins, right? Now, I'm not saying that, again, please don't be dogmatic and pedantic about this and, and, you know, rub it in my face and say, well, you know, Brian, did you know that if you you drank a gallon of diesel fuel, you would probably feel pretty sick and die? That would harm your core health. And that's not a mold supertoxin, Brian. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm not saying that we're invincible Superman and that kryptonite is the only thing that can kill us. Obviously, right? Like if someone's fumigating a house right next door to you, spraying, you know, uh, Elon Musk's rocket exhaust in your face, um, maybe that's going to also affect your core health. These are, this is just a bird's eye view, guys, okay? Take a deep breath, count to three sit in a timeout and realize that I'm talking about mold illness as a whole. I'm not talking about every possible specific insult you can think of. This all ties up very neatly in my experience in that Airbnb in the Midwest because I was sensitive to many things. I realized that I was being exposed to cleaning chemicals. I realized that there was a mild mold in the house. I realized all of these things. I realized what parts of the city had the problematic mold supertoxins, but I was able to enjoy the trip because I was constantly checking in with myself, monitoring, am I being exposed to a problematic mold supertoxin that will affect my core health? And it turns out that I was not exposed to it. And I'm telling you, you get so good at this that Right now, I have a pile of laundry from that trip that reeks of mold. 
I'm looking at it. It reeks of mold. But you know what? I'm not even washing it. I will. But it's just sitting on my bed. It's right by where I sleep. It doesn't bother me one bit. It doesn't bother me one bit because I just recognize it's not problematic mold. And this also applies to perfume, cleaning, gluten, whatever, when you get far enough along. So you can see I've, I've used this podcast to address a number of important topics. But I would like to leave a disclaimer and say that this isn't a thorough treatment of all of these topics, right? This is just sort of a 25-minute podcast, okay? So you got to do the rest of your homework and your research. Uh, I'm going to end with my normal disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. If you have a medical problem, seek a licensed physician. Don't listen to my podcast for medical advice. Also, I've recently... Uh, been interested in disclaiming my podcast as well and saying that I am not the original discoverer or person who found out all of this information. I'm just explaining what I've learned and how it's applied in my own life. There may be some errors, some omissions, some controversial points. Um, this is just my own personal, one person, one lay person, not a doctor, not a scientist, my own personal understanding and application of this information to the best of my ability. Hope everybody has a good day.